Thank you. 
with wonder, awestruck wonder, at the mention of your name. Father, we are in awe of who you are and all that you do. In our worship today, we pray that you will help us to express our praise and our adoration. That we'll come with a spirit of openness to you as your spirit works in us. May this time of worship bring glory to your name. And encourage us in our relationship with you and with each other. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with those who are here in worship today. Imagine a gift so powerful in its simplicity, it can electrify the emotion. It can inspire for generations. Gifts are filled with endless possibility when they've been packed with love and sent in the name of Jesus. That's the power of a simple gift. Now imagine the power of 100 million simple gifts with Operation Christmas Child. Wow, isn't that cool? A hundred million shoeboxes. We come to celebrate what God has done. This is the first time they have got the gifts ever in their lifetime. She is in heaven. Sharing Christ's love in a tangible way has been the heartbeat of Operation Christmas Child for 20 years now. It is a ministry that captures the heart and the imagination. All around the country, volunteers are excited about Operation Christmas Child. They're packing boxes, hosting packing parties, and getting the word out about the project. Evelyn and I are going cross-country to collect items to put into the 100 millionth shoebox for Operation Christmas Child. Come on, let's go. All right. Got involved with Operation Christmas Child because it helps needy kids. What would you say to other kids out there who maybe want to do something to help other kids? Go ahead. It's it's a hands-on project. Anybody can do it. For Operation Christmas Child, prayer is the glue that holds it all together. And these boxes carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I received my shoebox, it was my first Christmas gift ever. That's when I heard about Jesus Christ. Woo! Boy, it is fun. Man, we just keep on rolling. Operation Christmas Child it has been like a key in our hand. And because of that, we even know stories where new churches being planted in new places. We are now training for the greatest journey so that they can be able to teach other children. I finally get to be able to go and deliver this box to a little girl. 
Sarah has a very unique story. Her mother came to the father and just didn't want her anymore. He drove her to Brenda's aunt's house. When they brought her to me, she was five months old and weighed only four pounds. If my nephew had not brought her to me, she was going to die. I want you to know that I love you and that God loves you. To think about 100 million shoebox gifts, wow, amazing. You know, every shoebox is important. They're kind of like snowflakes. There's no two boxes alike. And every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God. Thank you for being a part of it. God bless you. We need your prayers and we need your help. So once again, participating in Operation Christmas Child and their brochures in your uh, bulletin. You can also pick them up on the table in the Christian Education building foyer, and that's also where the boxes can be dropped off when they are full. And uh, there's information both in the here about what to put in the box and how to do it, and in the back of the bulletin about dates and, and places for uh, where to, to get those, and then we will send them to the distribution center. Thanks in advance for your uh, participation in helping children get a gift this Christmas and praying that God will use this in ways that we might not have ever imagined as he works miraculously through a simple shoebox. There are a few other things in the uh, bulletin that I want to highlight. Uh, we are continuing to uh, gather recipes for the, uh, the Fruit of the Spirit recipe book that we're putting together through this series. And um, someone mentioned to me this week that I, they thought that the recipes were limited to desserts, and they're not, because there are lots of ways in which fruit can be used outside of desserts. So whatever the recipe may be, we'd like to have it. And also, if you've already contributed one, um, we will take multiple recipes from you. We'd love to fill up the book with our recipes. So if you have uh, put in as many as you want, and the sign-up sheets are on the back table this morning. And we will probably be collecting those for the next couple of weeks and then uh, begin putting the book together. We are, um, again, going to be uh, engaging in a 24-hour uh, seven-day-a-week, three-week prayer vigil beginning November 3rd. And uh, the, the uh, emphasis of this is quite naturally going to be the fruit of the Spirit. And we have some new things that we're going to be doing this year in, in uh, conjunction with that, as a part of that, as well as things that we've done uh, through the past years. This is going to be the fifth year we've done this. So I want you to just be in, in thought and prayer about that. Sign-ups will begin next Sunday. Uh, for the prayer vigil, and we are getting things ready and preparing for that important event in the life of our church. There's also, uh, we're also in the process of restarting our ministry to the nursing home. Uh, the announcement talks about students meeting tomorrow at 1230 uh, up on campus. Uh, it's not limited to students. If you would like to be a part of this ministry that uh, both the church and the Houghton College students are a part of, please come to the meeting or contact Paul Shea and we'll get you connected to that. We're going to ask the ushers to come now and assist us as we give back to God our tithes and offerings and gratitude for all he's done for us.
Father to the fatherless, defender of the weak, freedom for the prisoner, we sing, this is God in his holy place, this is God clothed in love and strength. Speak out, lift your voice and cry out, awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. You're with us in the wilderness, faithful to provide, every breath and every step. is God in His holy place. This is God both in love and strength. Sing out, lift your voice and cry out. Awesome is our strong God, mighty is our our strong God that we offer our prayers as we pray today if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers please come and join me
Almighty God, you are great and powerful. You are strong and mighty. We worship you today as the Almighty God. We give thanks that there is nothing greater than you. There is no one greater than you. There is nothing too great for you. We also come today to acknowledge that you are good and merciful and that you are loving and compassionate and full of grace. And today we, we bring before you the concerns and the burdens that are on our hearts, knowing that you have power to deal with them and that you have grace and mercy and compassion in the way that you deal with them. As we think about our own lives, as we think about the lives of those who are close to us, in this moment of silence, hear our prayers for ourselves and for one another. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray, Father, for the larger world around us, for the needs of our county and our state, for the needs of our nation. We think particularly of the leaders of our nation. We think of the world. People who live in dire circumstances and desperate situations. For our brothers and sisters. In this moment of silence, Father, hear our prayers for the needs of others. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your mercy and grace that is at work when we see it and at work when we do not. Pour out your grace upon each of us that we might be your light in the midst of darkness, that we might represent you well. We pray all of this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for us, 
and who rose again in power and victory and is returning, that we might be with you. And the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Today's scripture is in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. It's Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Then Peter said to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy times seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went out and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all your debt for you because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Please remain standing for the song, and children can be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true, cause I am found, I am yours, I am loved, I make you. I can breathe, I am healed, 
speak into our hearts through your word. Help us listen. Help us receive. And help us be open to you and your spirit. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated.
I'm going to try an experiment this morning. You may be unhappy with me because it's going to push you outside your comfort zones for a lot of you. I think that impatience is probably something all of us wrestle with at one time or another. Maybe more than less, but that we won't, I won't ask you about that. But we, you know, we wrestle with being impatient in all kinds of situations. I'm going to give you 60, 75 seconds to turn to people who are near you and just talk to each other a second about a recent moment when you were impatient. Okay, go. Find people near you, just turn however you want. If you're by yourself, grab a, connect with a few people around you and just share a few minutes. Okay, we have a lot of impatience in this group, I can tell. That's not enough time, we need more. All right, we, we wrestle with impatience. And one of the reasons why we chose an orange as the fruit today is because it takes a lot of patience to get this thing open. I think it's one of the reasons why I don't eat oranges. And I was talking with some folks about it. One person said, you know, I'm like hacking the thing. Other people, someone said, I don't even try anymore. I just give it to my spouse and let them open it for me because I don't want to mess with it. We've all been through the moments of trying to do this. And you get it open and, and out of the space of this, you know, the hundreds of whatever cubic inches in the room, the, the thing squirts and it, where does it go? Right in your eye when you, you know, when you do that. And Oranges are, are hard. They're, they, they're, they're tough for us. They make us impatient. But there are a lot of other things too. I suspect as you guys talk, maybe one of the areas of impatience might have been in the car. And anyone have any of those kinds of moments? There are a couple of pictures that might help us with that a minute. Does that look familiar? Yeah, you know, we, it, sometimes it's the car. Sometimes it's family Sometimes it's things that are related to uh, things that go on in our family. You can go ahead and hit the next one too. There we go. Beanbag chair, beans all over the living room. And it's hard to know what to do. I was just saying this morning, I'm out with the dog and I'm just realizing I'm getting really impatient with this dog. Let's go, you know. And, and you wonder, how do you handle that? I did see this as one solution for how to handle our impatience. You know that feeling, right? We, we wrestle with impatience. And that's why I think, in fact, I think patience is one of, one of the most significant elements of our spiritual walk with God. Is that it's one of the places where we all need help, we need work. And I think that's why, as Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience. It's a struggle for us. And there are some people who we look at them and we think they may just be naturally patient. But I guarantee you there are moments when they're not. Every one of us in one way or another struggles with impatience. Now when you, this word that, that Paul uses here in Galatians 5, we typically translate patience. And, and it, it has that sense of, you know, we, we recognize and we think about patience and it's waiting. I wonder if maybe the better word, going back to the old English word that's used in some of the older translations of the scripture, long-suffering. 
might be more descriptive of what God wants for us. And what what Paul is describing here, the sense of long-suffering. Another way way that that word is translated is long-tempered. Now, we talk about being short-tempered. And Paul is saying, when the Spirit is in you, when you're walking in the Spirit, there is not a, a... There's not short-temperedness, there's long-temperedness. I don't think it's a coincidence that in English, the word that we use for patient is connected to the word that we use to describe someone who is in the hospital. If you've been in a hospital, it's all about waiting, right? I mean, from the waiting room, it, it ought to discourage us right there that they actually have just come to the place of calling it that. You know, it's not the, we're going to see you next room. It's the waiting room. You know, and as, you know, as Jerry Seinfeld says, you get, they call you back to the room and you think, oh, now I see the doctor. No, they're taking you to a smaller waiting room where you wait longer. That one just doesn't have magazines in it like the one outside does. And, and you wait and you're in the hospital and, and you, you push the button. And even the best of circumstances, people who are very busy treating a whole bunch of other people and caring for a lot of other people, they're not at our beck and call. But we expect them to be. And you wait. And there is this sense of being patient when you are a patient. Long-suffering. Long-tempered. Paul says this is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Now, it's the fruit of the Spirit because it is, the, it is at the heart of the character and the nature of God. Over and over again, God describes himself, beginning in the Old Testament, as a God who is patient. He is slow to anger. Exodus 34, 6, as, as God is establishing the nation of Israel, he says to Moses, this is who I am. I'm a God of compassion I'm slow to anger. Numbers, God says it again. Slow to anger. Psalm 86, 15 says, slow to anger. I am patient. I am sure, I am long-tempered with you. And, And in that, you wonder, why does God need to talk about that so much? Why is it that God has to tell them he is slow to anger so often because we need it so often? Because there are so many times when the Israelites are testing his patience. And God is patient. You know, it's, it's interesting that when you rarely, as, as uh, Phillips Kennison points out, rarely is God described as, as having a a quick temper. And what's interesting is that he, he is, his character is so much about being slow-tempered, so much about being patient and slow to anger, that when he is not, it shocks us. And in our arrogance, instead of saying, wow, that's so unusual, we turn to God and say, really? What's this about? You're going to have to explain this one, God. And we read just those few moments in the scriptures where God's temper flares. And it's always for the right reason. It's always out of a spirit of holiness because that's who God is. We think, instead of asking, why is that so rare? We're asking, why did you do this at all? 
It's so much the nature and the character of God. And it's because it's the character of God that Paul says, when the Spirit of God lives in us, that's what ought to come out of us. That's how we ought to treat each other. And so we come to the parable that we read this morning. And the servant owes his master millions of dollars. And he goes to him and he gets down in front of him and he begs him. And what does he say? Be patient with me. I'll pay everything back. Not a chance in the world he's going to pay all that back. And the master says, okay. Not only does he say, all right, he doesn't sit back and say, all right, let's see how you're going to pay that back. He says, I'll tell you what, let's just forgive the whole debt. Let's just forget it. We'll write it off. And he goes outside and one of his co-servants owes him a small amount. And the guy says the exact same thing. Be patient with me. I'll pay you back. And he refuses and throws him into prison. And what is so intriguing to me about that story is that I know how many times I have given thanks to God after asking him to be patient with me and I've been impatient with others. And we who are imperfect expect other people to be perfect while the God who is perfect doesn't demand that we're perfect. And it's not a coincidence that this parable Jesus tells comes right on the heels of Peter asking, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive the people who sin against me? How about seven times? That's pretty good. And Jesus says, well, let's take that to a whole other level. There is in this spirit of God's patience, long-temperedness, this long-suffering spirit, there is in that a sense of forgiveness and humility that he is asking of us in the way we treat each other. Because that's how he treats us. The only reason that that the Spirit lives in us is because God is patient with us. Because we don't deserve it. If we got what we deserved, none of us would be here. We wouldn't even be around to be patient. But God continually is patient with us. You know what I find interesting about uh, our impatience, the struggle of impatience, especially in light of God's patience as a characteristic of his nature, is that we like the fact that God is patient with us. What we don't like is that God is in his nature patient. And by that I mean God doesn't always do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. In his book on common decency, Richard Mao titles the last chapter, Serving a Slow God. And there is something in that that is wrapped up in the patience of God, the long-suffering of God. It's not just about putting up with us. It's about designing the world in such a way in which waiting is an important part of it. 
And sometimes I wonder if our most difficult struggle with impatience is not so much with other people as it is with God. And maybe our impatience with each other is because we're impatient with God. And so, you, I mean, historically you see this. You read through the scriptures and over and over again, the writers of scripture are calling out, how long, O Lord? How long until you come and rescue us? How long until you take care of my enemy? How long are you going to make us go through this? How long until you answer our prayer? How long, how long, how long? We are tired, sick and tired of waiting for you. Impatience. In Acts chapter 1, the... um, only thing Jesus says to the disciples as he prepares to ascend into heaven and they prepare for the Holy Spirit to come, the only thing he says to them is, wait. Wait. That had to be an awfully long 40 days. Waiting. 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 You wonder, why, why all this waiting? I mean, why, why is God so enamored seemingly with waiting? Why is it that he continually is asking us to wait, to be patient with him? I think one of the reasons is that it's because it's in waiting that what's really inside of us has a tendency to leak out of us. When we are waiting on God, when we are forced to be patient with God, our true nature, our true character starts being revealed. The pressure is on. God's not doing what we want him to do. And we start leaking a little bit. When Ernest Hemingway he was a in the in World War One, and he was injured, and the doctors pulled I think it was two hundred and thirty seven pieces of shrapnel out of his body. And in his convalescence, he noticed, of course, you know, in those days they had just wide open wards of uh, of injured soldiers in the hospitals, and and he watched the other men who had been injured, and and the way in which they convalesced, and he said some of them took it as a challenge. And they used that time to grow stronger, to mature, and and to to let the the waiting and and the challenge of their pain to make them better. And he said there were other men there who who treated exactly the opposite. Nothing but whining and complaining and immaturity and, and shallowness about them. And it made a deep impression on him so that when he, when he recovered and he started writing his novels, you see over and over again that the plot lines of his stories are often about a person who is put in a position where they are forced to deal with a waiting type situation, not knowing what's going to happen. And then he develops the story about how they respond to that. Because it reveals our nature and our character. 
And sometimes we can't really see what's inside of us. We have a hard time judging ourselves. And so God lets us wait so that we can see ourselves much more clearly. And realize how much we need him. How much work there is still to do in us. But I think the other element also of why God is so enamored with waiting is that it's only in waiting that we can learn to trust God. And until we trust God, we can never fully experience the joy of God and the presence of God and the transforming power of God in our lives. Until we wait, we can't do it. It is only in waiting that you learn to trust. You can't learn to trust without being placed in a position where you have to trust. You can't learn to trust in theory. You have to learn to trust in practice. And so God who wants us desperately to trust him and to understand that he is good and merciful and full of compassion and slow to anger, the only way we can learn those lessons is to be placed in positions where we are forced to learn them. That's hard for us because we live in a culture in which everything is about fast. One of the terms, I mean, only our society could, could come up with a term multitasking. We can't just do one thing at a time. We always have to be doing five things at a time. And in fact, we wear that as a badge of honor. You know, I'm a, I have the ability to multitask. Studies are showing that we probably shouldn't wear that as a badge of honor because productivity goes down significantly when people try to multitask. You don't do anything well. But we, we love that idea. We love everything now, instantaneous. We are always looking for ways to cheat patients. Right? I mean, it's not enough to, stand, to, to sit in a, in a line for a toll booth. Now we created easy pass lanes. And now even this summer we were driving through Chicago and they, they give you the freedom to say you just bypass the whole thing. They take a picture of your license plate and you, sometime when you get home, you go on the computer on the internet and you pay your toll that way. Because I don't want to wait. I don't even want to slow down for the easy pass lane. And of course, don't, you know, fast food... You know, at first it was, we go in to get the fast food, and, and then, as John Orberg says, we go through the drive through so that we can eat in our vans like God intended us to. And, and even that's not fast enough, because now we, we can call ahead and place our order so that when we get there, it's all sitting there waiting for us. It's all about fast. And it's not just fast, it's about being productive. You know, we are all about productivity. How much have we accomplished? How much have we done? What have you been able to do? It, and that's the question we ask. In fact, we talk about people and ask, are they productive members of society? And we place value on people by how productive or unproductive they are. It's all about productivity. Because all we're really concerned about is, what's the end? Get me to the end. The process, not really concerned about. Now, it's not as though God isn't at all concerned about productivity. You read the first psalm and God says, Blessed are those whose tree are planted like trees by, by the river water. And, and they, their delight is in the law of the Lord. And they produce fruit. 
But we get, we, we get confused about that passage because we think the goal is to produce fruit. That's not the goal. The goal is to plant our trees by the living water, to delight in the law of the Lord. And, when, and that's the goal. The fruit producing, that's just the result of the goal. And the same way in Mark chapter 4, as the sower is scattering the seed and the seed lands on good soil. And Jesus in the parable says that it, it takes root and it grows and it produces a harvest of 30, 60, 100 times what was planted. Producing something is important. But the goal is not producing the harvest. The goal is creating soil in which the seed can grow. And then the harvest is simply the result of working toward that goal of producing good soil. And when you read what Jesus has to say, the harvest that's produced 100 times and the harvest that's produced 30 times, there's not a sense that the 100 is better. It's just different. But it's about the process of being ready and preparing our hearts for God's seed to get into us so that harvest can be produced, so that fruit can come out. And see, we think that same way about holiness and about being godly people. In our minds, the goal is to be holy. But when we read the scriptures, the goal is to learn to trust God. To develop a life in which we surrender to God. And when we learn to trust God and when our purpose is to surrender to God, the holy part of it naturally flows out of it. If our goal is to be holy, if our goal is, is, is holiness or whatever word you want to use to describe it, then how we get there is immaterial. It's irrelevant. And it's because that becomes our goal that we then start thinking about rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and we measure things that way and we get all wrapped up and all mixed up in this stuff because we have the wrong goal. Our goal is productivity instead of the process of learning to trust God. You think about someone that you know that you would say, this, this, is, this is a godly person. This is a person that if, if I could, I would love to be like them. I would love to have the kind of attitude they have and, and the way they treat people and the way they live their lives. And everything about them it, it just exudes Christ. You think about that person for a moment. You think they are that way because they don't go through any struggles? I doubt it. Is it because they're perfect? Surely not. Is it because they follow the rules and they do all the right do's and don'ts? I don't think so. If you look at them closely, it's because they have committed themselves to learning to trust God. They've committed themselves to a life of surrender to God. They are much more interested and willing to be patient with God to wait on God and to use all of that waiting time to let God grow his spirit in them. And out of that comes godliness and the life that we see that is so appealing. And that's why this whole series about the fruit of the spirit is framed, at least in my mind, is framed in the sense of praying the fruit of the spirit. Because 
we will learn to wait primarily by being people who learn to pray. When we often put praying and waiting together, usually in our minds, it's praying in such a way that we're waiting for God to do what we want. Okay, God, how long do I have to wait till I can convince you to do what I want you to do? Genuine waiting in prayer is learning how to trust God and waiting for God to move when the time is right and the circumstances are right. It is refusing to act before God chooses to act. It is learning to surrender to God and to trust God that can only be learned in waiting for God. And know this, if you begin to pray for God to teach you patience, he will give you all kinds of opportunities to learn patience. Because that's the only way we can learn it. Earlier this summer, I, I mentioned to you the, the old, an old Hebrew fable that tells about Abraham one day in his tent and looking out and seeing an, an old man making his way toward the tent in the, in the night, the evening air. And he, he ran out and he welcomed him and he helped him into the tent and, and he, he fed him. And, and as they were sitting down to eat, the, the old man just started eating without any kind of prayer of thanksgiving to God and Abraham was a bit taken back by that and he said to the man don't you worship God and as the man is stuffing his face he said no he said I don't worship God he said I, I only worship fire and Abraham was incensed and he grabbed the old man by the shoulders and he threw him out of the tent into the cold night air In that moment God heard or Abraham heard God saying to him Abraham Where's, where's the old man? Where's your visitor? Abraham said back, hey, he said, he doesn't worship you, so I threw him out. God said, really? He said, I've been patient with him for 80 years, even though he doesn't worship me and he rejects me. You couldn't be patient with him for one night? God who is patient with us, calls us to be people who are patient with him and with each other. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will instill within us a new passion and yearning to learn to wait, to be long-suffering, to be long-tempered, to learn to trust you. We pray this through Christ. Amen. As we prepare to sing the last song, I want to...
again remind you of the opportunities to engage yourself with with God as he develops a spirit of the, the spirit's patience in you there are cards at the ends of inside and outside of each row take one of those and I encourage you today to write something there that God may be saying to you about patience maybe something about waiting on him and maybe something about a relationship but learning patience take that and keep it in front of you throughout this week and again, to encourage us to take five minutes a day to pray for God to help us learn patience. Learning the value and even the joy of waiting, of being patient. And if you'd like to talk with someone this morning, have someone pray with you, the elders will be available outside the prayer room, down in the basement, to, uh, to do just that. As we together open our hearts to God and Ask him to make us patient people through his grace. Please stand as we sing. Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer, this is our constant longing and prayer. That we will forfeit all of our treasures. Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, set thine own
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.